0: Good morning, Mike Groomhead. Have you warmed up a little bit in
1: there? Yeah, we actually got the frost off the desks and everything. in here. Turn the AC, you know, a little bit up, so.
0: Yeah, you know, we work so hard in here in the mornings, we actually work up a sweat. Well, listen,
1: I'm in the other room from the control room, and I can hear Jessica's teeth chattering every morning when I come in here. So, at least we've warmed everybody up a little bit. Hey,
2: leave me out of it.
1: (laughs) Thanks, Jamie, and good morning, everyone. Uh, A lot of guests on the show today, coming up at 8.35, about 20 minutes from right now. uh, Nathan Wessel who is the Deputy Director of the ACLU Speech, Privacy, and Technology Project. He uncovered a program at the Attorney General's office. Now, this goes back a long time. This is not the product of our current Attorney General, although the current Attorney General says the courts have weighed in on this program, and, they, and she believes it's constitutional. She, she says it's also valuable in stopping a lot of the trafficking that goes on by monitoring financial transactions. So we're going to get the details of what's in this program and why Mr. Wessler and the ACLU believes that this is unconstitutional. So uh, is this an invasion of people's privacy? We're going to talk to him about that at 8.35. One hour later at 9.35 – uh, Pastor Rob Williams, who has been on the show before, is going to join me. And we're going to talk about the decline in Christianity or faith-based things in, in America. There are a lot of churches that are closing. I think it's an interesting topic as to why this is happening. If, in fact, this is a trend, what is it going to take to reverse it? And does it doesn't need to be reversed? So that happens. And at 1035, Asa Hutchinson, former governor of Arkansas, will join the show. We are going to talk to the governor about why he is in Arizona and what could be coming in his future. So all that's happening at 1035 this morning. Morning. That's where we're at. We start this morning with rising gas prices. Gas prices are on the rise again. We were warned about this happening. As more demand is coming in, China is opening back up. They are getting r- rid of their lockdowns. and so we are seeing more of a demand for fossil fuels and gases going up. Here's what's interesting. I want you to hear the this is about a minute long, but it's worth the listen. This is the White House press secretary, KJP. Corinne Jean-Pierre, who's to blame for rising gas prices?
3: As many of you are tracking, this week House Republicans will vote to raise gas prices on American families. The contrast in priorities could not be more stark. The president spent the last two years, as you know, doing everything he could to lower gas prices for American families, and prices are down about $1.60 a gallon since last summer. Now House Republicans are using their narrow majority to force the American people to pay higher gas prices just as big oil companies are amassing record profits. What's even more alarming is that this is not the only attempt by House Republicans' majority to raise costs on middle-class families. House Republicans are also pushing a tax increase on middle-class families and inflation-worsening tax cut for the rich and high prescription drug costs as well. These extreme policies would subject working families to immense financial pain and balloon our deficit all just to benefit the wealthiest taxpayers And big corporations.
1: First of all, I will tell you from my personal perspective, it is one of the biggest loads I've ever heard. The idea that in the climate we live in right now, that and this is this is the narrative though, this is how the game is played. The narrative and the perception is that Republicans are the party of the rich. So now they are intentionally raising gas prices. They are going to raise taxes on working class families, and they're gonna give tax cuts to the wealthy, which is gonna hurt inflation. That is the narrative. First of all, I would say to you, it is ridiculous to think that that's absolutely what they're trying to do, but that's the narrative. I just. But it's also, they are acknowledging, the reason why I played this is not to start the Republican-Democrat battle, is that they are already getting in front of this. If you remember when we heard about inflation, when we first started hearing the word inflation regarding this administration, we were told transitory. They, for weeks parroted and echoed that for sentiment transitory 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 until they couldn't anymore and they're paying a heavy price for it because the perception is you either lied or you didn't know what you were talking about both of them are scary so now what they're doing is they are seeing the handwriting on the wall gas prices are going up so it doesn't necessarily have to be the cause of things but they are going up and if gas prices are going up we now know who's to blame because Corinne Jean-Pierre just said that. But now this is where they're not on the same page just yet with their narrative in the administration, because in the past we've had the energy secretary on Jennifer Granholm. She was in Arizona. She was touring some coal plants and she was talking about clean energy. She was kind enough to come on the show. She called in, and I asked her a multitude of questions about who's to blame for, at the time, the very high gas prices and rising gas prices. And she said it was the fossil fuel companies. It was a, a plethora of reasons why. So I specifically asked her, are there any policies in this administration that are contributing to the rising gas prices? She said absolutely not. So she was asked same question about um, rising energy prices. And so what are the reasons why prices are going up?
0: It's obviously based upon international and climate events. So, for example, Winter Storm Elliott pulled 2 million barrels off the U.S. market because of refineries that went down. That crimp in supply causes prices to go up. What happens in China? Are they going to be opening up soon? Is there expectations regarding an increase in demand? That is something that happens on a global market. The whole point of this is that this Strategic Petroleum Reserve is a tool that we have, that we can control. We may not be able to control the weather, we may not be able to control what happens at OPEC Plus or in China, but we can control what we have access to, and that's why this tool is so incredibly important. We'll see what happens uh, with respect to the price of gas. We know that there are still refineries that have been pulled down, both for uh, maintenance as well as because of, uh, of, the, of Winter Storm Elliott. Um, but in the end, uh, we think it'll, it'll be balancing out soon. So it's international
1: and climate events that have caused the rise in prices. And what's interesting is she does talk in there about supply and demand. She mentions China and how they're opening back up again. She's talking about some shutdowns due to, you know, some repair work and storms that are happening. What's fascinating about this is talking about the petroleum reserve What about the reduction, the dramatic reduction that we've seen in the capabilities of American producers? Um, You know, this is what's a fair criticism of this for all taxpayers. This isn't just Republican, Democrat stuff. If the federal government sees everything through the prism of climate change, and they absolutely do, there's no doubt about the fact that climate change leads the way with all policy decisions, that when the president of the United States talks to the American people as a group, he talks about all the oil leases That are available and it's not their fault. And then when he goes into a room of friendly faces that agree with him and think like he does, he says, no drilling, no drilling anywhere, not onshore, not offshore, not on federal land, none of these places, no more drilling, no more drilling, no more drilling. He shut down a Keystone pipeline. Well, there was nothing in that pipeline. Okay. But what would be in that pipeline had it been worked? they are still people that were working on that pipeline, complaining about it being shut down. So there, there is policies in place, and she talks about some of the things that the White House can do. One of them is tapping into the strategic oil reserve. The problem with that is you've got to refill that. So when you start buying the oil to refill the strategic reserve, just like you falsely lower prices by draining that reserve, you falsely inflate prices by refilling it. That is – if one makes sense, the other makes sense. So what are some permanent things that can and should be done? What are the permanent things that need to happen so that um, we can see prices and we can have more control? Because she is right. We can't control OPEC. We can't control the war between Russia and Ukraine. We cannot control those things. But what we can control is American production and the ability for American oil companies to produce. Isn't it fascinating that the president of the United States is demonizing American oil companies on American soil, but at the same time is doing deals with Venezuela where American oil companies are going to be drilling for oil? At least that's the prospect that they are looking and drilling in Venezuela. It is fascinating. We have not done really anything to read. Reduce the need for petroleum products. We've demonized them. Now we've gone as far as saying your gas ranges are going to kill you and your family. We've done all of this, but we've done nothing to reduce the need. And But what we have done is made it much more expensive to produce and much more rare, which also drives up the price. So these things are, to me, are very fascinating. And it, it is – um To me, it's incredibly fascinating to see what's happening. Um, What we're going to do in just a couple of moments is we have a great guest coming on the show. We have got a guest coming in that is um, going to talk about – are have him on the phone. His name is Nathan Wessler, deputy director of the ACLU Speech, Privacy, and Technology product. And Mr. Wessler is going to talk to us about a surveillance program that is tracking money transfers right here in Arizona and other states. We're going to talk about why he believes this is unconstitutional. Hey, thanks for being here. Appreciate you spending some time with the show this morning. A story that caught my eye right away, and a lot of people here in the Valley and around the state of Arizona, about a surveillance program that's been going on for a decade or so here in Arizona, where they are actually called the TRAC program, where they are tracking financial uh, transactions um, over $500 using certain websites, using certain services. And um, the Attorney General of Arizona, this is not her program, but she has said that she believes the program is constitutional. It's very valuable to law enforcement in shutting down a bunch of crimes that the courts have already weighed in on this, but it's disagreed upon by the ACLU. Joining us right now is uh, Nathan Wessler. He is the deputy director for Speech, Privacy, and Technology Project at ACLU. Uh, Mr. Wessler, welcome to the show.
2: Good morning. Thank you.
1: Um, Did I describe the program fairly well? Can you give us a little more detail?
2: Yeah, that was a good description. Um, you know, the place I would start, though, is that uh, the attorney general's office says it's legal, but it is clearly not. Um, and Arizona courts have already held that. So what happened here is that uh, starting in uh, about 2006, the state attorney general's office uh, started trying to get huge amounts of records about people's money transfers, private money transfers using companies like Western Union or MoneyGram or other money transfer companies uh, for law enforcement purposes. But instead of trying to get, you know, narrow records about particular suspects, which everyone agrees they can do if they have suspicion that someone's violated the law. Uh, The state has been trying to, and in fact, has been getting huge quantities, millions of records about mostly people who have done absolutely nothing wrong. Uh, What we've learned is that uh, the state attorney general's office um, has been sending subpoenas, basically a letter, compelling these money transfer companies to turn over every record of a money transfer of more than $500 to or from Arizona or to or from From any of the other southern border states, so that might be you know someone sending money to a family member from Phoenix to Chicago for an operation, or you know someone in Sacramento uh, sending money over to a friend in New Mexico, uh, or any money transfer involving Mexico or anywhere else in Latin America or anywhere in the world for that matter. It's a stunningly broad program that has now amassed more than 150 million records of people's transactions and then open them up to access by police around the country without a court order, without even a subpoena. Police, uh, thousands of police officers have been given direct login access to people's private financial transactions. Uh, We think that's overbroad, and in fact, Arizona courts have agreed that's overbroad, and yet the previous attorneys general have continued this massive surveillance program.
1: So the first question I would have is, how did you find this out? How was your attention drawn to this program, and when? When?
2: So last year in March, uh, a member of the U.S. Senate, Senator Wyden from Oregon, uh, released some, some basic details about this program that his staff had learned through talking to money transfer companies and some federal agencies uh, in the Department of Homeland Security that had been working with the attorney general's office. Uh, and so we knew at that time that there were some millions of records in this database that federal agencies had obtained illegally under federal law using subpoenas that actually violated federal law. Uh, those subpoenas were withdrawn once the senator shed light on this, but it left a lot of unanswered questions about how a state government, the state of Arizona, had set up what seemed to be a massive surveillance program and then made it available to federal agencies and state and locals around the country. So we sent a public records request to the Arizona attorney general's office uh, last spring, and then several months later, uh, we got records that shed light on what's really a staggering uh, scope of surveillance. Really, a, it's a, a scandal that that had gone totally unnoticed in the public, uh, operating in secret. Um, Among the records that we got were 140 subpoenas that the state attorney general's office under previous attorneys general had sent to these money transfer companies under a state law that allows certain investigations of racketeering crimes. The problem here is that All 140 of those subpoenas are illegal under state law. In 2007, the Arizona Court of Appeals rejected exactly one of these kinds of subpoenas that the attorney general at that time had sent to Western Union and said, it is way overbroad. This is way beyond the jurisdiction of law enforcement in Arizona to investigate people who have no connection to the state and financial transactions as to which there's no reason to think they're illegal. Uh, and so somehow, um, instead of complying with that court order, the state attorney general's office has just gone underground and been issuing these requests in secret, hoping, I guess, that nobody would, would notice and raise a stink. But now the public knows about it and they should end it.
1: Nate Wessler is joining us. He's the deputy director of the ACLU Speech, Privacy and Technology Project. So then let me ask a couple of the obvious questions. in And what if this, project were to be, if you go into court and it's found that you're right in this instance, is there a danger that cases that have been closed and convictions that have been happening against people where this was used, could it jeopardize those cases?
2: It's unlikely that closed cases can be reopened, um, but what is certainly possible uh, is that people who are being prosecuted now, who learn belatedly that this evidence was gathered in illegal and unconstitutional ways against them, they can file a motion to try to suppress the evidence. Um, And in fact, that's the primary way that people's constitutional right to privacy against government is enforced in this country. Uh, You know, the the fact of the matter is that there are probably millions of Americans whose rights have been violated, uh, but most of them will have no way to find out that their financial records were gathered because this program is operated in secret. You know, the people who might find out are people who are accused of crimes and the government's supposed to give them some information about how the investigation uh, was conducted and what evidence was condu- was gathered against them, then their attorneys can try to argue that the government violated the law and try to get some of that evidence thrown out. Um, it's possible that could affect a few prosecutions, but if it does, I actually think that's a good thing uh, because otherwise we're just going to have more of this government illegality with impunity. There have to be some consequences. The, the government has to know there's some teeth to the law, and if they don't uh, respect people's constitutional and legal rights, uh, they're going to have some problems.
1: Do you know how many attorneys general in Arizona were involved in this and then nationwide who have been a part of this project? Do you have a count on that number?
2: yeah there were at least three previous attorneys general involved. Um, uh, two of them, uh, including mostly Attorney General Bernovich, were responsible for these 140 illegal subpoenas from 2014 until recently. then um, the program, as far as we know, is still going so you know the question for Attorney General Mays, who is obviously new in the state, is uh, you know she, she's not responsible for starting this program. she isn't at fault for what has really become a scandal, but if she doesn't take action soon to curtail these relations to people's rights, she's going to be responsible. So she could end this now, uh, and I hope she does. Um, To the second part of your question, this is another really staggering part of what we learned. So the records, these 150 million and, and growing set of people's private financial records, have been all dumped into a database maintained by this odd nonprofit organization called the Transaction Record Analysis Center, TRAC, which was set up by the state attorney general's office. Its board is selected by the attorney general. Uh, So it's it's really, you know, an an organ of the state government, except it's formally incorporated as an independent organization. Its whole purpose is to take all these records and then provide them totally freely to any, effectively, any police officer in the country who asks. And we got a a list of more than 700 state, local, and federal law enforcement agencies and sub-offices of those agencies. That have direct login access to this database, Uh, a list um, of agencies representing more than 12,000 cops from around the country. And part of the problem is they're allowed to just log into a website and search through people's private financial information without going to a judge first for permission, no warrant, without a subpoena that even asserts that the records are relevant to some real investigation. Uh, That's a recipe for real abuse of people's private information, uh, and it's exactly why we normally request and require judicial oversight before the authorities can start snooping on people.
1: Well, Mr. Westler, I appreciate the information, and we're obviously going to follow this. We're following up the Attorney General's office, and I hope you'll come back as this thing proceeds
2: i'd be happy to uh, it's it's a real scandal that has nationwide implications but it all starts and ends in arizona so thank you
1: all right thank you that is nathan westler deputy director of the aclu speech privacy and technology project coming up in a moment it's gatos and the big q poll question of the day
0: the gatos big q poll question brought to you by your valley toyota dealers
4: Good morning, Gatos. It's freezing outside. It is freezing outside. It's thirty degrees for crying out loud. What state do we live in? I know. I'm with this you. This is an outrage. Yeah. I uh, I I said I didn't move here for this. I didn't move here for this. So I said the same thing. Do you yeah. want to hear my cue? Absolutely. Uh, Monday was the coldest day in Arizona in four years. Did you know that? I did not. Well, now you do. What are you going to do to stay warm? A heated seats in the car. B long underwear. C, Burning classified documents found in my garage just to stay warm. <laughs> Can I add a D? Sure. Dance lessons with your wife. I have dance. I'm taking dance lessons I with saw my wife. I saw the picture. I'm in good shape. I'm... Uh i'm a very good leader actually
1: are you who's a better dancer you or your wife In, in my this wife. particular in this class my wife really
4: okay oh, yeah. good oh yeah you you should come you should take some dance lessons let's get let's, let's let's do it The, four, the i've actually of
1: us. i've actually taken ballroom dancing lessons in my previous life is that so absolutely you, you have happy feet uh no 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 i wasn't good at it but i did oh. take the lessons
4: <laughs> <laughs> well maybe it'll help keep people warm yeah it, it can't hurt no. When is this weather gonna when gonna go over? Uh, I know soon. I hope uh, because uh, uh, I don't think I'm coming in today. I got to be honest. I, <laughs> I, honestly, I think it's too cold. Well, I hope you make it in. It's supposed to be 56 today. That's I know. It was, I
1: had ice. I I leave my house at about 40, about 20 minutes to six, and I had ice on my windows. I had to defrost my windows so I could pull out of the driveway. Uh, then no, that's not why. No, we're, no, it's not why we're here.
4: No, this is an outrage. We. Uh, I think I'm I'm going to go to Mexico for a couple weeks.
1: All right. (laughs) Well, Gatos, it's good. As a matter of fact, I can't wait to talk to you tomorrow and find out if you made it into work today. You don't care if I make it. I do. I do care. All right. Thanks, Kato.
4: All right. I'll see you.
1: All right. The big Q poll question today brought to you by your Valley Toyota dealers. Go to KTAR.com. You can weigh in, and you can see how other people vote. Um, Coming up just after 9 o'clock, details about the proposed use of force policy changes at Phoenix PD. More on that coming up here in just a couple of moments, so please stick around for it.